Marini's Media. Totally Football Show Summer Special today. United players thrill in Germany, the ones playing for Inter, while in Cologne, Man United themselves face FC Copenhagen and almost FCK it up. We ask who will United face next, Wolves or Sevilla, and as Inter say bye to Bayer and become the second Italian side this week to force a boss out, could they go all the way? All that plus Atletico Madrid and players testing positive in this Tony Football Show summer special in association with Paddy Bauer. Hey listener, it's Tuesday the Checks Notes 11th of August. Crikey. And you're here, I'm here, and also with us, we've got Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello, James. Nice to see you, and lovely to see you, Daniel Story. Hi, James. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's been a long night. A long and exciting night, but you know, what with the high temperatures and the raw tension of the first set of quarterfinals, one-legged do-or-die knockout football, yo, uh, it's been dramatic. And of course, before all of that, we had the... Pretty big news about Atletico Madrid losing a couple of players before they'd even left for their final eight matches in in Lisbon uh, because of coronavirus positive tests. We'll hear more about that from Alvaro Romeo a little bit later on. James Horncastle should be joining us as well to talk about Inter's performance as they put up by Leverkusen. You fellows, though, were you all over Man United Copenhagen? Uh, I dual screened, but Did I was you? probably yeah, um, which I think is fine with two games. Okay, and what about you, Daniel? Yeah, I I was twos up today as well. If you're not yet a subscriber to the Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com/totally. Let's start though with Man United Copenhagen, if we may. It was bacon. And Oli's side had Danish, and they almost made a meal of it, thanks largely to the extraordinary Copenhagen keeper. If it had made one more save, it had been the most by a goalkeeper ever in the Europa League era, which is definitely one of my top three eras, I think. How many um, saves did he make, Duncan? He made 13, which is wow. a lot of saves. Carl Johan Jonsson, who presumably now is being written up by endless post-match pieces as being Premier League bound. Well, he does have the feel of a keeper that will get signed by a Premier League team and have a bad game in the League Cup next season and everyone will be like, oh yeah, do you remember when he was really good against United in the, in the Europa League? But um, yeah, I mean, the only time he got beaten was inevitably from the penalty spot and I guess you could argue that, you know, he'd probably even done his homework there and was expecting uh, Bruno Fernandes' normal skip on his penalty technique, which he didn't do. So a little sort of mind games, uh, marginal gains battle there. But it was a performance that people have likened to Brad Friedel, Tim Howard perhaps in that 2014 World Cup match for USA. Yeah, he made 16 saves in that right. game. So, But yeah, it's one of those, you know, goalkeepers can pull this sort of performance off and it's, you know, it's the reverse of a goalkeeper. We've seen a lot of goalkeepers make mistakes this season. I think it's been mm. quite a bad season for, for errors, but this was a... You know, who was that Polish keeper that did it against England back in the 70s? Tomaszewski, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very much in that sort of category. Might Man United buy this Jonsson fellow? <laughs> I think that's probably going a little bit too far. He was excellent. I think he probably only made 
two saves that I was surprised he'd made. The, really? The one where he went with his other hand and the one from the matter shot, I think, where he kind of stuck his foot out. Yeah. I think the others, if they'd have gone past him, he'd have been annoyed they'd have gone past him. But it's the cumulative effect that kind of makes a keeper look comically unbeatable at a time like that. And, and as Duncan said, it took a penalty, which, I mean, Manchester United deserved the victory after a slow start. I think that's fair to say, but... The penalty was really soft, it should be said. I think the commentators on BT were right to say that it was never going to be overturned once given because it was not a clear and obvious error. But there is a way that when a hand goes on a shoulder and a player falls forward theatrically, that does leave me slightly wincing. Um, and they didn't really give that much coverage. It, didn't, it seemed to sort of almost seem like a two plus two equals four penalty, but I don't think it was. I think it was really soft. It was the 21st penalty that Man United have been awarded this season. That's more than any other side has received in the top five European leagues. How tired will this extra time performance leave them, Man United? Well, I mean, they look tired from almost minute one. So by a minute 120, there were players flagging beyond belief. I mean, Bruno Fernandes, bless him. Whenever he now scores a penalty, everyone says, oh, brilliant signing. Actually, if you look at him over the last four or five games, he just looks absolutely shattered. He's getting down on himself when things don't go right. I mean, he hit the post with a great kind of dipping, bouncing effort, but some of the passes that were going astray from him and Fred in the first half particularly were, were a little bit disconcerting. I think Marcus Rashford looks so, so tired. Um, and we said it before, this is this is the problem with having to pick your best team and having such an obviously an obvious first team for every game in the Premier League and now every game in the Europa League is that players will be tired. I mean, he had a pass completion rate which was lower than every other United outfield player, which people have highlighted recently and said, look, he he plays more risky passes, so that will happen, and that is true. But you know, Copenhagen had done their homework and they they blocked off most of his options most of the time. So, you know the. Up until maybe around 60 minutes, it was almost a perfect performance from Copenhagen. But United, particularly Martial, did sort of come into it towards the end. Anyone else you'd like to salute from the Brave Danes, apart from their keeper, Jonsson? Rasmus Falk, for example. Yeah, I was going to say Rasmus Falk, who is a player I'm more than happy to say I knew absolutely nothing about before the game. Um, apparently, he's very, very good friends with Christian Eriksen. They kind of grew up together. Um, I was amazed. I looked, and as a maid, he only had one Danish cap which when he played like that you know kind of the skill and the holding at the ball and the interchange of play is astonishing when you consider someone like for example this Nicholas Bentner got more than 80 um yeah he looked absolutely brilliant I mean that that turn on the touchline to do two Manchester United players was uh like a cheap move really it apps it sold both players well, it was Redondo like a it was yeah yeah, I think we should mention Mason Greenwood, who you know once again belied his his young years and, and had a brilliant performance. Had a a goal rightly disallowed in the first half. He was clearly offside, but his unerring ability to—he's like the prince of trigonometry. He 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 can judge angles so well. Um, and then yeah, he was good. But uh, the flip side to that was another sort of poor performance from Marcus Rashford, who hasn't quite looked on it. Uh, you know, since the restart. And there was one moment in the second half where Pogba played a through ball, which was almost a very good pass, but it forced Rashford to really sprint for about 25 metres to get it. And he, he couldn't quite do it. And he looked absolutely spent, sort of knelt platoon style on the, on the touchline. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. 
or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Young, bella palla in bucata, Lukaku la protegge, Lukaku sul sinistro, va giù, Lukaku! Domina, come al solito, in area di rigore, 2-0, l'ha fatto lui, Lukaku! Enorme! Meanwhile, there was another game on Monday night, and what a game that was too. Dusseldorf was the venue as Inter took on Leverkusen, beating them 2-1. Through they go to the semi-finals. Hey, James Horncastle's with us. Hello, James. Hello. Ha ha. Uh, Inter making their way into their first UEFA competition semi-final since their Champions League run, victorious Champions League run, all the way back in 2010. It was thrilling stuff, but it was also pretty nerve-wracking. It was, although I think on the whole, Inter were the better side. They dominated. Leverkusen scored with their only chance, and it came when Inter were 2 0 up, and they'd essentially had a couple of opportunities to put the game completely to bed. Um, Barella missed one, Lukaku missed one. Um, and I suppose, you know, this has been one of the themes of Inter's season um, that, you know, they have been so much more better prepared. Um, than their opponents. They've outclassed them in various different uh, ways and yet games have been too close for comfort. But, you know, even Conte tonight who hasn't waited for the team to drop points or or lose um, before going on TV and criticising the club or some aspect of Il Mondo Inter, the Inter world as they call it, um, seem quite satisfied with this evening. And uh, I must say, uh, I, I take what you're saying about it being uh, s- slightly anxious towards the end. But on the whole, I think you, judging the performance, it felt a bit. Uh, it felt like a bit of a statement from Inter tonight. It made mm. me more confident that they could, they could maybe win this competition. Their ability to kill off games is the reason that they're in the Europa League, of course, rather than say the <laughs> later stages of the of the Champions League. And I, I wonder with Conte post game. Uh, whether he has maybe decided to button it a bit after things reached quite a critical point between him and the club following his you know, previous outburst. But, but anyway, let's salute some of the positives then for uh, Inter. Ashley Young, indefatigable. Uh, he was all <laughs> over the field. And of course, Romelu Lukaku uh, scoring, setting a new record for getting a goal in nine consecutive Europa League matches and also being denied an absolutely brilliant breakaway goal for a pretty non-existent foul. Yeah, I thought some of the refereeing tonight was poor, even though um, the use of the video assistant referee was good um, for a couple of penalties that uh, were initially given and then overturned when the uh, referee went to the the monitor. But Lukaku was outstanding tonight, um, even though he quite magnanimously afterwards said that the best player on the pitch was Nicola Barella, um, one of those players that uh, Antonio Conte said, you know, how can we be a contender when we're signing players from Cagliari? Um, yeah, a play that they paid 49 million euro for, um, but Barella was very good. And I think we should probably um, single out uh, and highlight um, just what a great season Lukaku has had. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's 31 goals in all competitions um, so far this season. Um, he is out on his own in in the history of of the Europa League now, scoring in in nine consecutive games um, and. 
he's really showed up and feels like the leader of this team. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you can see that in, in how demanding he is and how creative he is at swearing, um, both in English and Italian, at various teammates for not giving him the ball where he wants it. But he's been outstanding. Um, and uh, I think um, Conte kind of entirely vindicated in, in pushing and pushing and pushing for them to sign him uh, last summer. And I think he is, without doubt at this moment, the best striker in the competition. And he's been supplied by Ashley Young, who, uh, who James mentioned. And um, that was his fourth assist in this competition tonight. They, he assisted in his first two games for Aston Villa in 2008. Um, and then he assisted one for United and now one for Inter. His first assist in the Europa League slash UEFA Cup is closer to John Major being Prime Minister than it is to now, which kind of you know, shows how long Ashley Young's career has been. He's forever young. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. If you'd have gone back five years and said Ashley Young would be assisting goals for Inter in the, you know, the latter stages of uh, European competition in 2020, I think people would have fallen over. <laughs> yeah, no, they have a, a very good connection. I think unlike... Um, I think this is a, another thing that's gone under the radar, perhaps because we focused on Christian Eriksen so much since January. Um, yeah, they, they obviously paid twenty million for Eriksen, and it hasn't really happened for him, even though he won a penalty that was overturned um, tonight. He uh, scored uh, against Getafe as well, but he's been coming on for the last ten, fifteen minutes really in games. Whereas Young has started pretty much every game since January, has racked up a number of assists. He scored. And yet we don't talk about him. Um, you know, it's sort of maybe it's because he's at that kind of age. He's in his mid-30s now. Um, and uh, it's not like it's maybe leading to anything. Um, but he's been he's been very good um, for Inter. And I'd say you look at some of the other deals that they've done, loans that they've done, and, and, and how they're wondering to make them permanent. You know, they were straight away. Yes, we're going to keep young. We want him. Um and I think that's uh, that's a really big endorsement of him. Mm. Uh, standout players for Leverkusen included their keeper, Hradeski. Uh, also, uh, it's interesting to see Kai Havertz finding the net, which it was maybe a bit of an error from Handanovic. I don't want to go all Roy Keane in that. Uh, but uh, potentially his last goal, that, for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, potentially, although I think Lampard said last night that he wasn't particularly confident um, of them being able to do that deal, which seems to be the theme of Monday, August 10th. Um, with uh, you know Jaden Sancho being splashed all over Borussia Dortmund's social media accounts, as uh, the the deadline has come and gone, he's with us now. You've had your chance. See you later. And then around about five o'clock, every reporter who follows United um, sort of uh, posting out what the same briefing like. Uh, United have not given up hope of signing Jaden Sancho yet. So. They we'll warned see. that they'd walk away, didn't they? Which is not a very threatening stance <laughs> when they're trying to buy something. Like going into the supermarket and going, I'm, I'm warning you, I'm going to leave in a minute and not buy this stuff in my trolley. Daniel, what's going to happen with Jaden Sancho? Uh, I couldn't help feeling that, 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 that Dortmund, I mean, one of the tweets Dortmund sent was kind of, you love to see it with a picture of, of Jaden <laughs> smiling. We presume taken today. But I can't help feeling that that might, I hope that that he is not being used as a way of as a kind of bargaining chip by Michael Zork to get the most money they can. I suspect that's exactly what's happening, and he might well be on board with that as well. But yeah, I don't think we've heard the last of it. I, I can't imagine Manchester United if they want him as much as we're led to believe 
with two months of the window left thinking, well, they said they don't want to deal, so there's no point even trying now. All right, well, back to Inter. It took uh, one of uh, modern football's standout managerial feats to get them to win a European title before in 2010. Could Pazza Inter be heading for another bit of silverware? Look, I don't see why not now. I've come round. I'm so fickle. Uh, I think you asked me about this last night. And I was mm. like, um, we look on paper and we always say Inter should be uh, reaching the final four or even the final of these competitions and for whatever reason they don't. But they look like they're going into the semifinals um, in great form. You know, sort of five wins in a row now. Um, they've overcome different opponents um, yeah, I remember we were talking about the Getafe game and how they seemed to struggle for the first 25 minutes of that game because they were pressed so hard. Tonight, they they decided to, to, to do what uh, Getafe had done to them, to Leverkusen instead, and, and, and Leverkusen couldn't really handle it. Um, so I think because of the side of the draw that they're on as well, it's helpful. Um, but uh, that felt very encouraging. And with games coming thick and fast, I think... Um, it's it's important to have that mood, that confidence within the camp. You mentioned Conte, James, earlier. Sort of, um, he had before, you know, sort of Inter flew to to Germany for the tournament. Sort of been flying off the handle at the club, and there was all these doubts about his his future. He, he's been kind of quite. He's walked this back a little bit. You know, he he praised the club for getting the Alexis Sanchez deal done. Although Alexis picked up an injury tonight, and and it looks doubtful that he will participate in the semi final. And then we, you'll probably see all these these videos of him being involved in the rondo, um, which he's been doing the last few days because he's just a happy, smiley person who loves being involved with uh, with the team, uh, yeah. gets on with everyone. Uh, just you know, wants to be a player just like them because he loves these guys. He loves them. Um, the so, rondo being the training exercise where where one person's in the middle and you have to pass. Yeah, around. which I kind of feel like it's 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 a little bit like your dad showing off. Um, that he's still got it and he's still fit. But uh, good positive vibes, as they say, as the hashtag goes. James Horncastle. Well, fun though Monday was, Tuesday's action could be even more exciting. Let's discuss that next. You're listening to the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Wolves haven't been in a European quarterfinal in a very, very long time. How long? Well, put it this way. This season hadn't even started the last time it happened. 1972 it was, Without You by Harry Nilsson was number one. Now, till recently, of course, Wolverhampton Wanderers have been more about battling relegation than Europe's finest teams. But Tuesday night, they're going to be up against Europa League royalty, Sevilla. Daniel, it's been a season that's lasted 13 months so far. But if they can just do three more games... Yeah, I mean, in my head, I've almost written off Wolves, which is for two reasons. Firstly, because I think Sevilla looked absolutely brilliant in their last 16 win over Roma. Uh, and also because I think Wolves look pretty tired later on against Olympiacos, which is, as with Manchester United, is is absolutely forgivable because they've got a very set first team that Nuno understandably wants to both rely upon and reward for, for working so hard throughout this season. Um, but I just thought against Olympiacos, they were letting in so many crosses into the box 
and that is you know that's what Sevilla are good at and uh, obviously Johnny is injured so they're going to have to play Ruben Venegra I think as, as as left back and I just yeah I just I've almost written off walls in my head that's not to say they can't win but I'm just assuming that Sevilla will have too much for them and we know about their European pedigree obviously particularly mm. in this competition well, it was also the way that Wolves finished off the Premier League season with those those two wins from six. Still, it is a remarkable state of affairs for a team that was 15th in the Championship when uh, Nuno took over. But now, not many minutes away from potentially landing one of the big trophies. I mean, it feels like a rite passage for all English teams to get heavily beaten by Sevilla at some point. It feels like everyone goes through that. But the one times Sevilla have lost to an English team in recent memories when they lost to Leicester and if Wolves there is a similarity between them and Leicester I think in the sense that you know as Daniel said a very kind of settled team and a very singular approach but it works for them and I think you know they could easily go a couple of goals down quite early but I think if they can hang on for a bit um, yeah I fancy them to get through and obviously for them if they don't win the Europa League they're not in Europe next season Um, so that's a, a big carrot if they do win the Europa League, uh, the Premier League will have eight teams in continental competition. So there'll be five Champions League and three Europa League. Good job it's not a, a, a season that's going to be desperately affected by being both short and having a major tournament at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they've been tired and they didn't impress particularly against Olympiacos. But if Adama Traore is back on his game as he is from time to time... If, if his they arms are oiled, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they should... I mean, once you start oiling up one player, why not go for the whole kit and caboodle? And I mean, legs, oil everybody. And legs, hmm? I think. It'd be great legs. to... I think legs to slip through a tackle, so to speak, would be... Yeah, I'm all for it. OK. On a hot, sweaty night, everyone's just going to get slick anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, very true. Some of the, some of the shirts in uh, Cologne this evening... It'd be good to hear French. a post-match interview where someone said, if anything, I was too slick. <laughs> It may happen. It may well happen. All right, well, we talked a little bit about Wolves, but as you say, Daniel, uh, a lot of people feel that Sevilla's incredible pedigree in this tournament may make them favourites. Joining us now is Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro, uh, nice to hear you again. Sevilla taking on Wolves. What are they saying about Wolves in Spain? Well, I, I think the most surprising thing is what Lopetegui has said about Wolves today and saying that uh, it's the second team after Manchester City that uh, spends the most, the most money. Uh, something that uh, has impressed uh, very much Spanish media because probably they didn't know about it. I don't know if that is exactly right. But the truth is that uh, apart from that, there is little known about uh, Wolves apart from uh, the fact that Nuno Espiritu Santo, the former Valencia manager, is uh, Wolves manager. And uh, I don't think that uh, Spanish press is aware of the real danger that Wolves can mean, in, especially in uh, one single tyre. We talked on this show before about uh, Sevilla and the, the fantastic football that they play, that maybe they lack a, a finisher to, to really get the most from all their, their build-up. But you see a lot of them and you see a lot of Wolves. How do you think this one's going to go? Well, I think it, this is going to be quite contested, really, because uh, this season I commentated, I think, that on 32 Wolves games, so I know who they are and how do they play. And it's going to be a shame for Wolves not to have Johnny on the pitch. I think Ruben Vinagre will end up playing on the left, but he's not as convincing, at least defensively, as the Spanish guy. And uh, probably Diogo Jota will play this, this time, uh, which uh, a player who should give some sort of trouble to Jesus Navas because he's naturally a defender. 
But at the same time, I believe that, uh, yes, Sevilla doesn't have a striker like Raul Jiménez. At the time, in fact, goals have been the real issue for Sevilla this season because um, they didn't have any convincing striker, but they've got many players who can score, uh, maybe not uh, 20 goals per season, but uh, 10, 11, 12. And if you have many like that, uh, well... Uh, you multiply your options of uh, making goals from different areas of the pitch. I think that Sevilla is a slightly favorite. Historically, Sevilla does very well against uh, English clubs. I think that strangely, Leicester has been the only English club to beat Sevilla in a full tire. And uh, I believe that Sevilla will have the upper hand. Uh, Wolves is an excellent team, but uh, they are a little bit short of a squad in comparison to Sevilla. And I believe that that can play in Sevilla's favor at the end. Uh, a player like Lucas Ocampos is playing fantastically. And I think that uh, Wolves is going to be fine to tackle him, especially on the left, with Ruben Vinagre playing potentially as a left back. And I, will, I believe, again, that Sevilla is a slightly favorite for this game. Yes. So interesting, Wolves will be using oil and vinagre for this game. Quite a tasty encounter. <laughs> All right. I guess with Wolves being tired, they might kind of look to keep it pretty tight first half, almost like we saw those early Premier League games after the restart and kind of come forward in the second half. They've been brilliant in the second halves all season. Do you think Sevilla will kind of look to go at them hard early on and try and get a lead before half time to kind of counteract that? Or will they probably be happy to sit back as well? Well, I think that Sevilla will try to dominate from the beginning and to press really high. And I also believe that uh, sometimes all the football that Sevilla managed to generate uh, doesn't have the, a translation in the scoreline. Again, they have a problem with uh, their number nine because the young is not convincing at all. And I believe that Sevilla has more rhythm. Uh, and Wolverhampton, yeah, you're right. I mean, they are better in the second half. And the, in this Premier League season, I believe that they are the team that they have managed better the 1-0 uh, disadvantage in the Premier League. So um, all that said, I still believe that uh, if Sevilla... If Sevilla manages to, to impose their game the way they did it against Roma, Sevilla was surprisingly quick that game, much more than in La Liga. I believe that uh, that will outpace Wolverhampton because uh, some of the, the players may be a little bit uh, tired after, after a very long season. I don't see João Moutinho uh, defending, especially uh, if Sevilla plays uh, as quick as they did against Roma. And I believe that, uh, yeah, maybe... Maybe Sevilla is stronger for this game, but of course, I mean, Adama Traore can be one of the games as well, one of the players as well that uh, Sevilla may be very aware of uh, because uh, the battle with Reguilón on the left uh, will be very nice. And uh, all that said, yes, I go back to my first point again. I think that Sevilla is stronger. Uh, they collected 70 points in La Liga. Uh, Wolverhampton managed to get 59, but at the end of the season, you could see that they were exhausted. And yes, Sevilla, they reached this point of the season in in a very good form. Mm. What is it, 18 games in a row unbeaten now? Yeah, they haven't lost since February 2020, but of course, there has been a three months hiatus. But still, yeah, it's about 20 games, yeah. I mean, let's not forget Wolves did beat Man City home and away this season and came from 2-0 down to beat them as well so you know even if they do go behind they've, they've got match winners to turn it around so I mean I'm really looking forward to this game I think it's going to be excellent Excellent I'm delighted for that Alvaro since we've got you on can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, worrying news from Atletico Madrid two of their players testing positive ahead of their departure for the Champions League quarterfinals they're due to be playing Thursday against RB Leipzig but positive tests for Angel Correa, uh, who's been uh, such a feature for them, 
and Simi Vasalico as well. What's the impact on the team and are there doubts about uh, whether their game against uh, Leipzig could be going ahead on Thursday? Well, the, the game is going ahead. Atletico will travel to Portugal on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, the only difference is that uh, Bersalico and Correa, who were supposed to be in the squad, they will uh, stay in Madrid. A good thing is that they are asymptomatic, so they are not feeling any they are not feeling bad at all, uh, but yeah, uh, the positive cases cannot travel for the game and it's still uh, to be confirmed whether they could be in the semi-finals. I've been reading few newspapers and uh, apparently uh, there is still a slight chance that if uh, the players uh, are healthy from now on until the semi-finals could be there, but well, maybe uh, that is a slight, a still thinking too, too far ahead because they have to negotiate the game against uh, Leipzig. The thing is that... Uh, Correa's absence is quite a setback uh, for Atletico de Madrid because he has played uh, 44 games this season. He has scored seven goals. He's been important for Simeone. Normally, he's the player that uh, gets the opponent exhausted until the 60th minute and then Simeone replaces Correa with another player. That is normally the game plan with him, but uh, yeah, he's a very useful tool for Atletico de Madrid and this opens up a possibility, who knows, maybe for uh, a player like Vitolo, maybe to play, or uh, Yannick Ferreira Carrasco to have more minutes. The thing is that, uh, yeah, Atletico de Madrid can consider themselves lucky uh, considering all the circumstances because uh, um, there was a fear yesterday that uh, having had two players testing positive uh, after the test done on Monday, there would be many more players uh, testing positive as well, and therefore they couldn't probably they, they wouldn't have been able to to make a competitive squad uh, for Lisbon. But yeah, now it's just Bersalico who wasn't going to play anyway, and Correa, uh, the players could will be absent. And yeah, I still believe that Atletico de Madrid, after this setback and after having to change their itinerary and their plans uh, because they were going to travel to Lisbon on Monday, well, they are traveling in uh, a day later, uh, I, I still believe that Atletico yeah, will arrive in this game with uh, confidence after uh, knowing that uh, the rest of the players are fine. Okay, excellent stuff, Alvaro. Uh, you can tell us more about that game as the week rolls by. For now, there are many, many thanks. We've still got one more game to tell you about from Tuesday, which is Shakhtar's clash with Basel. First of all, though, his Lee Price. Thanks, Jimbo, and hello to you, the non-skipper. The final eight. Sounds like a terrible superhero movie, doesn't it? Uh, it should be a bit better than that, though. It should be interesting games to see. Shakhtar, Basel, we make it quite one-sided. Five to six that Shakhtar win this tie. Basel, the three-to-one outsiders of a draw. 13 to five. God knows what happens next. As for Wolves, they're slightly up against it, and they're not favourites in their tie. Sevilla, who've won it about 100 million times, are six to five to win this clash. Wolves are 5-2, to two, neither side odds on, and both amongst the frontrunners to win the tournament. In fact, whoever goes through should see their odds shorten quite dramatically. Wolves currently pre-kick off 15-2 to two to win Europa League, Sevilla 5-1. to one. Both will be a lot shorter if they go through from this fixture. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when that fun stops, stop. On Tuesday night, while... Some of us may be watching Wolves against Sevilla. Shakhtar will be up against Basel in Gelsenkirchen. Shakhtar, who are in actually terrific form. They absolutely romped to the Ukraine title. They looked pretty good as well in their 3-0 win over Wolfsburg in their last 16 game last week. I know that Sasha Gurionov is very excited about their prospects for this competition. How thrilled are you to see them take on Basel, Daniel? Well, I think Basel are really interesting story because they kind of 
we're used to seeing them at about this stage, maybe maybe sort of last 16 quarterfinals of the Europa League, but they've been pretty ordinary this season. They've managed to finish third in the Swiss League, which is um, three, three a fair teams. effort given, yeah. given their domination <laughs> over that competition in the last decade. Kind of 14 points off top, and they were beaten 5-2 by Lask in their Champions League qualifying round, which is the same team that United kind of destroyed in the first leg in the last 16 Europa League. So, yeah, it kind of feels like they've, They've got their slightly through the back door, but they finished above Getafe in their group, and it's obviously seen as the the other of the Europa League quarterfinals. Of that, there is no doubt. But um, you know, a place in the semi-finals in a one-off game against an interside who have been flaky at this stages of of competitions and seasons before is nothing to be sniffed at. Absolutely, no Swiss side has reached a semi-final of a European competition since Basel themselves did it in the Europa League in 2013, but that was back when they had Mo Salah mm. playing for them. Beat Tottenham, didn't they, in the uh, quarterfinals? Hmm, knowledge. Alrighty. Well, as I say, Sasha's ever so excited about Shakhtar Donetsk and Junior Marais and all that sort of thing, and I think he's going to be joining us here on the Totally Football Show Summer Special to review that performance against Basel. Uh, in about 24 hours from now, listener. That, though, wraps it up for today's show. So many thanks for being with us. Thanks to you, Duncan and Daniel, also Alvaro and James Horncastle and producer Charlie. Listener, as I say, we'll have another one for you on Wednesday morning. And do make sure to tune in to uh, my 11 o'clock show on BT Sport if you hear this in time. Club 2020 Daily. Have a great day, and we'll catch up with you again soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.